0: I think it's a hard line to delineate sometimes, but what we know is that if you are doing the things you usually do to cope, so if you are a person who exercises to cope or talks to friends to cope and those aren't working, you're still feeling that sort of constant either dread or anxiety, that's when it's time to pick up a phone and and decide to reach out and get some help.
1: Welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, and on today's episode... We're going to be talking mental health with Dr. Megan Walls from Nemours. On our last episode, we took a break from COVID coverage to talk baseball with Keith Law. If you haven't listened to it, it's fantastic, but that's not necessarily important here because we're talking mental health. I think the, the really important takeaway from this episode is that it's okay to be not okay right now. Uh, we are all dealing with a very different world than any of us has ever lived through in the past. And it's okay to not feel all right. It's okay to feel uncomfortable with things being different. It's okay, especially with everything happening in the world now, with the protests that we are seeing around the country, it's it's okay to not feel normal. And it's also okay to reach out and get help and reach out to and talk to somebody. So while this is general advice, you should certainly consult your own physician or a physician if you don't have a personal physician for your own situation. Hopefully this will give you some insight in if you have been feeling a bit off during the pandemic, if you've been stuck at home or you're just generally not feeling easy about the way the world is right now. Take a listen, see if see if some things hit for you and maybe take some time and reach out and see if you can get get with a professional who can who can make you feel better. We're going to talk about where you can go if you uh, feel like you need to talk to somebody and uh, the different kind of services that are going on now since it's hard to meet in an office. It's hard to um, see people face-to-face, the different telemedicine uh, options that the physicians are able to utilize right now. So sit back, take a listen, and don't hesitate to get help if you need it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham. We are joined today by County Executive Matt Meyer and Dr. Megan Walls from Nemours. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming on. We're gonna talk some mental health today, which is super important, especially in the craziest time. I would say ninety-nine point nine percent of people have been alive through. Sure. Not many people are around from the nineteen eighteen pandemic. And if they were, I doubt they remember what it was like but certainly the craziest time we've lived in since then. So tell me a little bit about first your, your background, Megan. What, what, where, how did you get where you are and what do you do?
0: Sure. So I am a pediatric psychologist with Nemours Children's Health System. I spend my clinical time in our primary care office, mostly at Jessup Street, so in the city of Wilmington. Uh, Nemours really makes an effort to get psychologists and mental health providers in our communities through our primary care clinics. I also hold assistant clinical professorship at Thomas Jefferson University through Sydney Medical College, so do some of our training at Nemours for our medical and psychological trainees. And a lot of my work more recently has been working on behavioral health policy and making sure that we are getting information and knowledge out to the public, especially during this really difficult time.
1: That's important. That's all good stuff.
2: Hey Megan Matt Meyer County Executive thanks for coming in on Pod County the first podcast in the first county in the first state we really appreciate it it's really important we we've sort of launched a series doing health education for people where they hear directly from health professionals really on the front lines of this crisis i think and i hear you say a lot of someone who's educated me about this that mental health is often forgotten in the coronavirus crisis, that there's a lot of focus on, you know, the COVID-19 disease. There's a lot of focus on economic impacts. Can you talk a little bit about mental health in this in this strange time?
0: Sure. So I think one of the the biggest things about mental health is that when we think about mental health disorders or mental health difficulties, there are things that sustain them or make them worse. And a pandemic, unfortunately, includes a lot of those things. So things like isolation, people not feeling a sense of purpose, people not feeling a sense of time, people not feeling like they have to get up and get out of bed and get dressed and get ready to go to work. And those things are things that we work on with people who are struggling with mental health. So we're put in this situation where I think across the board, folks are really struggling because we're, we're in a situation that is not the best for any of us. And I think more and more as time goes on, we're seeing more of that. So at the beginning, perhaps this wasn't a, as big of a deal, but I think all of us in the mental health field know that there's a wave of COVID and then there's also this wave of mental health aftermath. The Washington Post published something a couple days ago that, that estimated about a third of Americans are having clinical symptoms of anxiety and depression. And for Delaware, uh, that number was estimated to be 32%. So we know a lot of our Delawareans are really struggling with this. And I think it's a, to be a little bit expected here.
2: How do they get, do you know how they got a number like that, 32%, particularly for Delaware?
0: Sure. They looked at some census information and pulled it from each state to sort of look at what people's current symptoms were.
2: Gotcha. And so the, I presumably there are certain populations that are facing the mental health um, risks yes. I- yep. in a different or greater way? What are some of those populations? Yeah.
0: So young adults, which makes a lot of sense to me, a lot of people who are in a transitional stage of life. We know that women actually are having more mental health issues. And then our families who are actually highest risk are our families who are our low-income families. So the families who identify as you know not having the money for food or healthcare or any of those things are some of the folks who are at the highest risk.
1: We were out today at a uh, a pet food drive through. Today, we've we've seen uh, numerous different food bank initiatives to get to get humans food that they need. But uh, today, we we were out seeing the same thing with pets. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people. It, it's one thing to have that anxiety for yourself, and now you have this anxiety about the animals in your home. A lot of people, you know, same thing. It's like having kids. And I know, you know, as a millennial, I think anxiety is just inherent in our generation. So many of. My friends and just people that I know in this age group—it's just something that we deal with constantly. So, if you already feel some of this, and now you're having it exacerbated by this thing, or or you were fine, but now you know now I'm running out of food for my pets, right? It's these things that might trigger it. What can you do? We're we're starting to come out of this, but it's it's not—it's going to be real for people. What can you do to to combat that?
0: Sure. So. You know, you mentioned having food drives and and pet food drives even. And I think one of the things we've seen a lot during this pandemic is this increased caretaking, right? Whether that's parenting, pet parenting, um, whether that is making sure that elderly people in your neighborhood have food, we're seeing a lot more caretaking and that takes a toll on people. So I think just being able to address that itself is really important. So, you know, acknowledging that this might be a harder time for you. One of the things that I've been telling parents, kids, anyone, you know, who I talk to about this is they need to make sure that they're giving themselves a little bit of grace here. I don't expect anyone to sort of be doing perfectly during this, but I talked a little bit about what are the things that make mental health worse. So on the flip side, what are the things that make mental health better? The number one thing that I have been talking to folks about is what is your new reality and how can you work on, giving yourself the most sense of control and normalcy. So making sure you're sleeping enough, making sure you are eating enough, making sure that your schedules are on some semblance of normal. Um, I know that can shift back and forth, but you know, for, for adults, for parents, for kids, for everybody, we want people to be trying to implement pieces of normal throughout this. And like you said in the beginning, this is not just a novel virus. This is a really novel time for all of us. None of us have, or most of us have not had to go through a pandemic that has the impact on people it's having right now. So when we think about that, you know, normalcy is a big one, But other things are, I think, having discussions with whether it's your roommates or your kids or whomever you're living with about what is our plan and what makes us most comfortable during this is important. We are seeing a lot of anxiety around not just the virus, not just shutdowns, but now reopenings, right? So what is this going to look like and how can we help people adjust to this future? And I know a lot of people are saying like our new normal, but I suspect it's going to be sort of this ebbing and flowing and changing normal as we move along.
1: You know, for, for my wife and I, it's been probably different for, than it has been for a lot of people because I still come in the office every day. But she's been working from home since the first week of March. They They went in pretty early. So we still get that time apart, so we're not driving each other crazy. Right. But for people who are like they're both working from home, and someone took the office, and someone took the dining room, or, or whatever, and now maybe they're going to start to go back. How do you how do you help people like that who's who are dealing with these different relationship dynamics sure. uh, in in the home?
0: Sure. So I think there's two pieces of this. One is, what do we do when everybody's here? That's how one parent said, she said, everybody's just always here. And it made me laugh, but it's true, right? What do we do when everybody's here? And I think having those conversations up front and preparing, you know, prevention is the name of the game and behavioral health in general, but that goes for this too. So having those discussions of, I've got a meeting at two o'clock today and you've got a meeting at 2.30 and neither of us can be interrupted and having those discussions up front is really helpful. I also think taking breaks is okay, whether that's from your partner or your kids and saying like, I got to go for a walk. I have to get out of this house for a little while. That's okay. And as long as you're practicing those appropriate social distancing and masking behaviors, you can get out of your house a little bit now. So I really encourage people to do that. The second piece is that I want people to start thinking about what they're comfortable with as we move forward. So how do I get out of my house? How do I take breaks? How do I have that connectedness? Because there are ways without being right next to each other and, you know, breathing on each other to connect with people. And social connection is so important now, but it's going to be continued to be important as we move forward. And like you're saying, as some people are in workspaces and some people are still home. And I think respecting each other's, you know, sort of space and also making sure that that you're having some insight into what you're feeling yourself, right? So if you're having those feelings of anxiety or stress that you're acknowledging them instead of just saying like, I'll be fine.
1: I think that's a that's a really important point too, right? Is having that insight to know because I think a, a lot of people, because this could be so different for them, right? They may not understand what they're feeling is anxiety or is a, sure. is is a different mental health reaction. How can you? I hate that like the term self diagnosis, but how can you recognize in yourself what's what's happening?
0: Sure. So, you know, I think it's less about. Like you're saying, self-diagnosis, but more about recognizing what's changing for you. So, signs that perhaps your mental health is something you need to focus on are things like you can't sleep, you can't eat, you're fighting with people all the time, you're irritable, um, your behavior's changing. Those things are things you might want to take a second and think about. You know what's going on here. Um, one of the things I've I've been pretty you know outspoken about is getting people treatment during this. So. Almost every mental health provider I know is providing telehealth. Um, We have a lot of waivers allowing us to practice across states and to practice in different ways, meaning if someone doesn't have Wi-Fi, we can talk to them on the phone. And those are really important. So if you're noticing, hey, this feels like maybe I need some help, maybe this isn't the reaction that I want or what I can handle myself, that I really want people to be able to reach out and do that, whether that's through their insurance company. DSAM, the Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health, started a Hopeline recently, and that is a line that if you either need therapy or there's crisis, you can call that line. And that is 833-9HOPE-DE. So for adults, you can certainly do that. For kiddos, we are seeing lots of kids at Nemours through telehealth and our behavioral health division is working really hard to meet all of those needs.
2: How do you know, Dr. Walls, when you should make the call as opposed to, oh, I'm just, I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling very happy. I'm having trouble sleeping. Versus, like, okay, I need help. I need to make a call.
0: Yeah, I think it, I think it's a hard line to delineate sometimes. But what we know is that. If you are doing the things you usually do to cope, so if you are a person who exercises to cope or talks to friends to cope and those aren't working, you're still feeling that sort of constant either dread or anxiety, that's when it's time to pick up a phone and and decide to reach out and get some help because we do have really good empirically-based treatments. And as we sort of move forward, a lot of mental health providers are doing research on what works best around things like anxiety for COVID specifically. So I think if you're starting to realize... I've tried these coping skills. I've talked to friends or my partner, and I am still just really stuck. That's a good time to know to reach out.
2: You are, you were named, congratulations to, I believe, the Chair a Governor's Task Force, looking at uh, opening schools, particularly with respect to mental health and wellness. What what would you like to see? You know, schools are opening, there's are potentially opening in the fall The Governor, and I think all of us want to see schools in some way, shape, or form open in a a safe way. A lot of that time when when we talk about safe way, we're talking about safe in terms of the virus. You're thinking safe in terms of mental health and wellness.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I, you know, our health and wellness work group is really tasked with figuring out exactly what you're saying, which is depending on spread, which is you know, kind of from a scientific perspective, how we need to look at this. What are the things we need to put in place to keep our kids safe and healthy, and our teachers safe and healthy? So there's adults in those buildings too, and we need to to sort of think about that in an all-encompassing way. I think the biggest piece here is figuring out how do we put together a plan that addresses physical health and sanitation with how do we address what we know is going to be higher anxiety with kids coming back, families who aren't comfortable with kids coming back. So, you know, I don't know that we know exactly what those things will be yet clearly, but what I do think we need to to remind ourselves and each other is This is a difficult time, and if we only focus on the physical health piece, that we're missing a big part of how we put back together our communities and our schools. Particularly, I think we've talked and and I think we'll continue to talk about what resources do we have for kids in schools? How can we make sure we're connecting kids to resources if we don't have them in schools? And the same goes for the adults who will be in the buildings. How do we just make sure that we are going to be able to provide appropriate support shall we need it?
1: We're looking at, you know, when can we get kids back in school? And, and obviously, you know, that'll be next school year because the school year's done or done for for any opportunity to go back into a building. But I think that's also going to be part of the next two, three months of how do we get life back to outdoors and going into buildings and stuff. And I think you're going to see, you know, especially where we, here, we are here on the East Coast in Delaware, we're sandwiched between, you know, three other states and every other state's responding differently. And you're going to see a mix of reactions to this here. How do you maybe recommend for people as, as you're going to experience different people who have different levels of caring about these rules or different views on these rules interacting in those situations in in life? You know, when you're at the grocery store and somebody wants to get some food without a mask or whatever, how, how do you recommend kind of taking all this craziness in?
0: Yeah, so... I think we back up a little bit. And and from my perspective, this starts with people having conversations in their houses, but also starts with healthcare professionals and teachers and elected officials talking about masks and hand washing and social distancing as taking care of each other versus rules. I talk a lot about par- that with parents. So stop telling your kids to just wash their hands. Talk about you're protecting yourself from the virus. You're protecting other people from the virus. I think the more that we sort of swing the pendulum to look at this as a community effort, and the less we think of it as rules being implemented upon us, the better off we are. And I think anyone who has a voice to do that certainly should, and again, I think that goes all the way from folks who have a public voice to in our own houses with our kids. We can't control what others do, but we can control what we do. And so the message I'm sending to families frequently is, you can decide that you are all going to make the right choice, and you can talk to your neighbors about making that right choice, and maybe every single person won't, and we're going to have to deal with that but that if we can if we can talk about it in that way i think people have much higher buy in than all of us which sort of have this reaction right of well don't tell me what to do but instead tell me how i can help so mm-hmm. if we can tell people how to help i think we're better off the other piece of this is i think there is anxiety about going back to anywhere right and from a healthcare provider one of the things that i think is really important to think about is how is anxiety or or you know stress preventing people from engaging in their preventive health care? So I think that's another really important thing that I want parents and, and adults and kids to think about is we need to get kids in for well visits. We need to make sure that if you were due to have a scan because you are a cancer survivor, that we can get you that. And our hospitals in Delaware have been doing an extremely good job of trying to put things in place that make people safe to start doing those things. So I think if we can think of this as Again, caretaking, right? We want to make sure we're taking care of our community. That goes for for both, you know, masking and social distancing in public, but also getting people to do the things that we actually do need them to do. There are some things that are a choice, right? You don't have to go to the store maybe next week to just buy a random thing, but you might need to go to your doctor's office. And at Nemours, we're working really hard to get kids and parents comfortable with masking and social distancing and those things so that we can give essential care.
1: I think that's a good point you brought up, too, that people have kind of been foregoing a lot of self-care during this people are i've seen a cu- couple of stories where people are like afraid to go to the hospital cuz they don't know what's going to happen can you kind of emphasize the importance there like still you know cancer screenings are still important cancer is not going to go away i mean right. that kind of that kind of stuff
0: yeah i think we have to balance this right we know that covid has caused a lot of death and our goal now is to try to keep that curve as flat as we can while also taking care of the other really important things what we don't want to happen is that you know kids aren't getting vaccinated or at their well visits or adults are not able to get their care because they're afraid of coming back to the hospital systems. I think we've learned a lot over the past couple months about how to stay safe and healthy and not spread germs, particularly related to COVID. So, you know, I really encourage families, whether that's a kiddo that you're going to bring to our Nemours primary care clinics or whether it's an adult who needs to go get preventive care, that you need to, you know, maybe check in with your doctor and see what the plan is, but that those are really important things to take care of. And I think the same goes for things, you know, you you mentioned self-care like even getting out of the house. Let's make sure we don't have people who are so anxious about this that we're not even leaving and doing the safe things.
2: Dr. Walls, we do a lot of talking here in county government about the AC world. Like what's it going to look like after corona? Is it are we are we going to a world that's pretty much the same as, you know, March 1st before we got into this crisis? Or is it going to be dramatically different? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I expect it to be different. What I'm hopeful for is that it can be different in a way that allows us to function, you know, slowly but surely and get back to some of the things that we do love. But I think we have to expect and also accept that it will be different. I think there's a lot of talk of, let's get back to normal. I'm not sure that any physician I know thinks there's going to be back to normal as it was in February. You know, in the next few months or years. Um, but I do think that we can get back to functional and get back to good and get back to hopeful. And that's where I think we need to focus our attention. I think we need to start talking about openly things like we might have to wear masks for a while. We might have to keep distant for a while. Um, and. And to also encourage others to do those things, again, with the thought of taking care of each other. But I think that that if we can start working on, as a community, our acceptance that this won't be the same, we're going to do much better off. And we're going to be able to do some of those things that we enjoy. And we're going to be able to get people back to the point where they don't feel sort of the heaviness of this, even if it is different.
2: You're doing a lot more telehealth, I presume, than ever before. We are. What's what's the dynamic for in in your sort of as a mental health practitioner, how... How much do you lose by doing telehealth as opposed to have someone, having someone in your office and being able to interact with them?
0: Sure. So first, I, you know, I just want to say we have done a ton more telehealth. I think in the first month, Nemours went up 1,100%, and I think it was something like 2,000% um, last month. So our visits of telehealth are going up. I think what's happening is we are figuring out how to do it well. In the first, you know, few weeks, patients didn't know what to expect as providers, we didn't know what to expect, Um, but we've sort of gotten it down to a science of how do we connect with people over telehealth and how do we assure them that we're still going to take good care of them? And I think instead of thinking about the things that have been harder, I'm prone to look at the things that have gone well. So for example, one of the main pieces of depression treatment is getting people up and moving. And when my teenagers answer their, you know, telehealth visit in their bed, I can very clearly say they're not engaging in that behavior. So we've tried, you know, I, I don't know that we have good data on if we have huge differences in mental health outcomes right now, but I think overall on an anecdotal basis, we're seeing a lot of positive and we're seeing a lot of engagement. We are, are working on right now at Nemours. Um, well, it's finished and it will. it's going public, a COVID-specific intervention for kids and families. So one thing we're hearing a lot of on telehealth is what we're talking about today, right? All of the anxiety around COVID-specific things. Dr. Kim Cantor, who's one of our psychologists and a team of hers created a COVID-specific three-session mental health intervention for kids and families. Because what we're hearing again on telehealth is so much of our increase is is related to these things. So we're trying to do the best we can. And from families so far, what we've heard is this is working pretty well. Obviously, you know, we want to see some families in person, and we're working to be able to do that when it works better for the family. But we've had a lot of success so far, and I've been pretty impressed by it.
2: That's great. That's great. And thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's incredible work. One of the greatest fears we had operating the largest paramedic service in the state and the second largest police uh, department was when this hit and we sat and had meetings, mental health, like what's it gonna do to things like suicide rates and how do we make sure that we have the first responder resources to handle that. And obviously you're you're really on the front lines making sure that, that those cases and calls never come into 911. So thank you.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I I will also put in a plug that um, the Delaware Hope Line that DSAM is running um, has sort of a caveat that they ask if you're a healthcare provider. So healthcare providers get sort of shifted to this separate section. And there are a group of psychologists, Delaware Psychological Association has been working with DSAM to sort of have folks who are comfortable with health psychology to talk to those folks. So we're also making sure that you know, healthcare providers, frontline providers, and, and that could be first responders of any sort, get shifted there so that we can have those conversations and that we're making sure we're not dropping the ball and that we're not waiting till this is quote unquote over to take care of those things. So we're trying to, in the moment, actually address those issues.
1: Okay. Thank you. I think that, that's so important. You know, a lot of times we don't think about the impact Uh, that this response can have on the people who are responding, the frontline responders. So that's really good. There's a whole separate specific focus for those people who need it.
0: There is. And I think most of our healthcare systems, I know Nemours and Christiana both have peer support programs within our hospitals because we recognize this is just incredibly stressful for those folks.
1: And I really think, so I spent my whole career before this in journalism, and, and that was something that really was not a focus of... Of, of just life in journalism. You went out and you saw absolutely heinous things routinely, especially I worked the night shift, a more shooting response in Wilmington than I, I can remember. And it was interesting when I came to government and you get into a kind of a normal office space and that normal reaction to mental health and taking care of yourself and like the, the fact that I just didn't even realize that this is something I should have been thinking of and that the way I could react to certain things, it was I was carrying a lot of this stress with me. So I think it's important to take kind of some inventory of yourself and know, like, what am I holding onto? What, how are these things actually impacting me? Whether I think they are or not, or I think I'm, I'm stronger than this or tougher than this, it's not going. You aren't. It is going to weigh on you.
0: Right. And I think you know we've been trying really hard to make sure that we are providing mental health supports to folks who are dealing with COVID diagnoses or family diagnoses. But I, I think sometimes we can forget that those people at testing sites, right, who are seeing. Many positive cases a day, and watching people break down are also having a hard time. So we're really trying to do everything we can. And you know, Dsam and Moore's have paired with community partners and and the state of Delaware to try to make sure that those healthcare support healthcare workers are really supported, um, and that we're making sure we're intervening when and where we can.
1: I would imagine, without a pandemic happening, just the the current events of the world would probably be enough to to inflict trauma or awaken trauma. For a lot of people. You know, I mean, there's an election happening and this is a pretty monumental election for a lot of people. So that's going to be pretty stressful, anxiety driving. The, the unrest in Minnesota and in Georgia are, are certainly triggering for a lot of people. And then you add the the ongoing stress of the last couple months.
2: And the new rules on Twitter.
1: And <laughs> and the new rules on Twitter, which are so really strange. stressful for one person in, in particular. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I guess I don't know, we keep kind of hitting back on this, but and I think it's probably the same thing, but you know, what what do you say to people who, you know, forget the pandemic for a minute, but you're just feeling the feels for everything happening? What can you do?
0: Sure. So so first, I think you let yourself feel the feels. I think one of the things that we've moved towards in mental health education is sort of normalizing feeling down and sad and frustrated especially given the events you're talking about. It's really normal for us to be humans. And I encourage people to, you know, with those type of feelings, to let yourself yell or cry or be angry or sad. Like those are things that are important. And for parents, your kids need to see that it's okay to be human and be upset. Teaching people resiliency is far more important than keeping people from being upset. But I think the other piece of this that I that I always talk about is everyone reacts to things differently. So we know... Two people could go through the same very traumatic event, and one person is totally fine afterwards, and another has flashbacks for months. So I really think that's where it's important to be able to check in with yourself and say, like, how bothered am I? Is this a, I can talk to my friends, my partner, go for a walk, and this feels better? Or is this sitting with me every day, all day? And I think those are the times when we have to say, I need to reach out and get help. I can't handle this myself. But... I think, again, it's normal to feel some of those things during this. And I think if we can all give each other a little bit of grace that people might be a little bit more irritable or a little bit more frustrated, we'll all end up in a better place.
1: I, I really think that's, that's really encouraging. I mean, we've seen a lot over the last few years, we've uh, seen medical professionals change their response to pain in that way, that, you know, physical pain is not always a bad thing. We don't need to make it go away and overprescribe painkillers I think it's it's important too that we're looking at emotional pain in the same light that it's not a bad thing right feeling is not bad but how can we still you know handle those feelings and remain productive or remain you know functional
0: yeah I mean we call it in the world of psychology distress tolerance right so being able to sit with feeling bad and it really is a skill and if people can learn that not not to, you know, sort of jump to fixing it right away, but instead being able to sit with that, but then figure out what do I do, right? So what do I do that's productive with this? We actually have a much healthier group of people when they learn to do that than when they're just sort of pushing it away.
1: And I think that's probably a cultural thing too, right? Like when you see some cultures handle, they're much more used to like depression isn't necessarily the same concept in Asia as it is in America for some of those reasons.
0: For sure. And I think, you know, what what we can do and what I, I encourage all people to do, whether you are, you know, a healthcare professional or not, is to be able to give that sort of grace and empathy to people around you, right? So in your house, people you work with, like this is a hard time. Pandemics are hard, but like you're saying, there's all this other stuff going on too. And it is a lot for people to handle. So I think being able to, you know, try yourself to sit with it talk to people be kind to people who are around you but then recognize when does it get too much when do I need to reach out
1: if you're if you're still working from home uh, I imagine a lot of people that'll probably be a normal thing for a long time we've seen I think some major companies have said we're gonna, you're working from home for the next six months year whatever and your kids are gonna be there for a long time right how do you how do you talk to people about balancing that I mean we kind of talked about like the they're always here but helping your kids remain, Kids, while you're at home working, how? how does sure. That
0: work? So I, you know, I think there's like some very lovely pieces of research that are great in this pandemic. One is the the Harvard Center on the Developing Child says there is one key predictor in kids' resiliency, and that's a caring, supportive caregiver. They did not say a caregiver who plays with them eight hours a day, all day, when they're supposed to be working. Right? That's not it. That's not that's not what it says. That's not what the data says. So. The second piece of research that goes along with that is we know quality time is more important than quantity time. And kids who get even five to 15 minutes of quality time with parents per day do really well. So I like to pair those two things and say to folks, listen, you're really busy. Your kids are trying to do, I don't know, Zoom phone calls or whatever it is. I don't know what world we live in. Last week, my eight-year-old was like, can you please set me up for my Zoom conference call? (laughs) And can you get my background ready? Oh, no. We
1: got those backgrounds. yeah, oh, we got, I, I we got, got that background.com.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could have used that. But I think this is a different world, right? So being able to be flexible and looking at your schedules as adults, and this can go for both parenting and with your partner, right? And saying, you know, this is going to be a crazy day for us. I know it is. It seems overwhelming already. You want to go on a walk for 15 minutes after dinner tonight. That's going to be our special time together and we're going to we're going to work on that. So I think if parents particularly can give themselves some permission to not be perfect right now but instead be what their kid needs and in a pandemic what your kid needs is a stable parent who is working on prepared not panicked. Kids are going to do okay with it. And the same thing goes for kids with adults, right? So if they're not doing okay, you're seeing some of those signs, not sleeping, different behavior. Then that's you know probably a sign that we need to get help. But overall, I think if parents can find some quality, good short amount of time, it's really what the kids need.
1: I think it, it, talking about the resiliency of children is important too. I mean, the kind of joke is like they bounce at that age, yes. right? Like that. I, I know so many young parents who are so worried that this is going to leave some lasting. Their kids are going to be. They're going to fall behind. They're not going to be on the same level. And it, it just, kids are resilient.
0: Kids are resilient. I I mean, the latest research basically says to us, you know, we have kids who we call dandelions, right? They can grow anywhere, flexible, can pretty much survive in any environment. And then we have like art orchids that can only have one certain environment. And it's great brain research. But basically what that says is, again, all kids are going to react differently. But overall, kids are resilient that kid who needs that particular environment, we just have to work a little harder to get that kid that environment to be resilient. But it doesn't mean they're not resilient. It doesn't mean they can't sort of bounce back from this. And the other thing is, I think parents can sort of talk to their kids about, what are the cool things we've done during this, right? Try to reframe it. We do this with adults with depression treatment, but we can do it with our own kids. So tell me two cool things that happened today. What are the things you really like that are happening?
2: Are there positive aspects of this? Like I I, I think of, like when you you told the story of your eight-year-old when I was an eight-year-old, if I got exposure to that, to see what, like, my mom, she was a new lawyer, see what she, like, I didn't really know what that meant. I just know she, like, goes to the office, and my dad got up and went to the office, and I think for a lot of kids to have exposure, like, you get to see what your parents do every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple things. One is exposure to what your parents do. It's good modeling, right? It's showing them how do we get through difficult times even but i think you know the other piece of this is that we are having family spending more time together we are getting more of that positive you know uh, child parent time But it is also neat for kids to see what their parents do and to have some more exposure to, like you're saying, um, you know, it would have been cool to see what your mom did as a lawyer. You know, my kids certainly have a better idea of what I do after two and a half months home (laughs) with me. They also ask when I'm going to be on TV next. That's their favorite thing. But generally, you know, I think there is some positives to it. I think the other positive thing is that we are learning a little bit about some kids who do thrive with virtual le- learning. So there is a mix of how kids learn. There's a mix of how kids thrive. And we're seeing a little bit of that and able to figure this out a little bit. And I think the, the fact is the future for a lot of our kids looks much more tech savvy than it did for all of us growing up. So, you know, I think there are some things, not everything, but some things that have been pretty neat to see our kids sort of gain some of these skills.
2: Also that families get to spend time together. I mean, you know, in the day-to-day... It's a consequence of sort of 2020 life uh, that you don't spend that much time with your family, and so now you get to <laughs> spend a lot of time with a your lot family. Of time with your no, family. you get to know each other, and maybe people you know—people you live with—you didn't know that well. You get to know each other a lot better.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I, you know, some of our teens are really struggling with not seeing their friends, but it's amazing what the parents of teens say about having more time with their kids and having more quality time with their kids because they're their kid's only option to talk to right now in person. Um, so I have a couple of friends who are like, my teenager comes down to eat dinner with us and goes on walks with us because I'm their only social option. Um, so some of those things are definitely happening and it's kind of neat to see.
1: My uh, my sister teaches first grade in, in Baltimore City and she's been teaching via Zoom. And I think going to that, that, like this new technology savvy, I mean, she's got six-year-olds that know how Zoom work. Uh, I have had to teach my parents, how Zoom works. So it's, it's for sure, I think gonna, if anything, if there's one positive to take from it, there's an education happening that's a outside of the classroom education. Is there anything else that we haven't necessarily talked about to this point that you want to make sure we touch on?
0: You know, I think the, the one other thing that I think, you know, that we need to just continue to work on is making sure that we keep mental health sort of at the front as we move forward. I think, you know, as we said earlier, the focus has been understandably on COVID. We've had to focus on disease spread and we've had to focus on taking care of people in our hospitals, but we know that this is going to continue to be an issue. And I suspect that as we continue through this wave of disease, we'll also have a wave of mental health. So I think the more we can encourage people to pay attention to this, to take care of themselves and to reach out if they need help, the better off we'll be.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, are there any general pitfalls that you know, people w- should should look for or want to avoid through, you know, whether it's working from home or the social distancing or just the general adjustment period to everything?
0: Yeah, you know, th- this isn't, uh, I think, a direct answer to that. But I as you were asking that, I think one of the pitfalls I've seen is, I'm gonna steal this phrase from someone because I can't remember who said it, but they said um, we need to stop having the suffering Olympics. So we need to stop saying, oh well, that person's lucky because both parents are home. Oh well, that person is lucky because you know X,Y,Z, because we really don't know what's going on in folks' homes and there's always someone better off than us and there's always someone worse off than us. So I think if we can instead sort of sit with what we've got and address the issues that we have in our house or in our neighborhood or our own communities and then reach out to help others when they need it, we'll really do better than sort of comparing who's got it better or worse. I think what that does to mental health is it makes it feel like, well, I shouldn't be sad or depressed or anxious because... You know this other person has it worse than me and the truth is that we know that mental health affects everyone it it doesn't know you know that we live in a different zip code it doesn't know that you are you know a kid versus an adult these things can affect anyone and while we know that there are some communities that are worse affected during COVID in general so we, we you know for example we know that our communities of color and our poor communities are being more affected by the disease and probably so in turn, mental health, we know overall it can affect anyone. So I think when we do that game of like, oh, well, I'm probably okay because I have a roof over my head and or I'm probably not okay because this other reason, we sort of negate the importance of checking in on ourselves and checking in on others we care about.
1: I think the suffering Olympics, I like that term, I think they've replaced the busy Olympics, right? Yes. That's always been a thing. Oh, well, I'm so busy. I work so much I have so many blah blah blah, and it's like that's not a it, we t- talk about it like a badge of honor, but really you're just telling us how little time you have for yourself. That's right. not great,
0: right? And so I think that's you know I think that's the the other thing is. It's okay to give yourself time during this. It's okay to shut your work computer, even if you're home. I think people are struggling with that, right? So it's 6 p.m. You'd usually be leaving work, but you're home and sitting in your office, so you'll finish. It's okay to shut your computer. It's okay to turn off your phone. It is okay to say, you know, I need a day or two off if you have some vacation time to take. And it's okay to say, I need a break from my house and leave the house for a little bit. And similarly, it's okay to say, none of this seems to be working, and I think I need to get more help.
1: We what, last night, maybe the night before, uh, every year we get, my, my wife's from the West Coast of Canada, we, book, we, we go back and we, we booked our tickets to go back. We were going to go back this summer. My, my sister-in-law is, is having a baby. We'll, we'll be aunts and uncles. And we were going to go out for that. And that's not happening uh, now. But So now we're going to try to go out in the fall and figure, if anything, it gives her a little time to get used to that new routine. It was weird just sitting down and trying to go back to that normal thing, something we've done Every, you know, multiple times a year for the last eight years and think about, well, what's travel going to be like? And then you're going through and you're like picking the seats and there's certain seats you can't pick because you can't sit. And it was really weird for me to have that like really normal thing that I'm used to and that being able to look forward to something again, which has been really hard because every event on the planet's canceled. Uh, All the concerts I was going to go to are gone. All the sporting events I was going to go to are done. So I have like a thing to look forward to again. But then also looking at it, and it's so different, and it feels so precarious, right? Like the border between the U.S. and Canada is still closed. So we're going to hope by October it's open.
0: I've heard from, you know, people whose families live across the country, and they're trying to decide, like, what does that look like, and how do we do that? I think this is one of our biggest challenges. And the advice I've sort of been giving people is, look... October's a long way away, right? And the same thing for school when we talk about school. Like this is still a while away. Let's take this day by day. Let's watch the advice of professionals. But let's also do this. Let's let's remember that we do have hope and that there is going to be continued scientific advancement around COVID. Whether that's a vaccine, whether that's more people have antibodies. There, this is going to happen, right? So we should see, even though we're not going back to normal. And increasing ability longer term to get back to some of these things we love. So what I've been encouraging people to do, which sounds probably a little cheesy, but is like, write these things down, Mm. right? My kids have a hope jar. It literally is like on the kitchen counter and it says one day. And we stick things in when they whine about things they can't do. And I sort of have this very like, you know, brief statement to them of like, I'm sorry, this does stink. Let's stick it in the jar. And it's amazing how much it does for people to just get those things out. And for adults, I encourage them to just make a list, right? Stick it on your fridge, stick it in your bathroom mirror, I don't care. But write those things down because eventually you will likely be able to go back to those things. And I think it helps us feel that sense of, okay, I can deal with this today and I'm just going to take on today, but I can think about the future in a way that's really hopeful.
1: I like that. I think that's smart. Thanks. (laughs) You're pretty good at your job. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll. you can send me a bill whenever right, whenever you need to for the, for the, the mental health evaluation there or, or the mental health advice. But yeah, it did feel good to vent that a little.
0: Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, I think that's the other thing is I've been telling people, you know, find a friend. Find someone who maybe is not in your house every day who you can just complain to about some of these things. It's okay to complain about things. It feels good sometimes to vent and you do feel better afterwards. You know, I think, generally, you asked if there's anything else we we missed. I think the other thing that I I feel hopeful about is in terms of mental health is Delaware has taken a stance on mental health from our General Assembly to our you know, county leadership to our state leadership that it's important and that we are going to take this on and we are continuing to work on policy, whether that's through the Lieutenant Governor's Behavioral Health Consortium, whether that's through our individual hospitals making sure we have services for folks they need, whether that's through policy and getting bills passed so that we can reach more people and make it more accessible. And I am hopeful that the people in Delaware and in our communities that need help can get help because of that. So I think overall, while this is a huge challenge, there are more and more resources daily, and and we're going to work to make sure that we can take care of people in the way they need to be taken care of.
1: You can't look at mental health as a, as a secondary thing. It's really got to be a primary thing. Right up there with your annual physical, you've got to you know keep in mind keeping your mind.
0: Yes. And we talk about that, right? We We want overall health. And I think we're getting towards working towards having people accept that. But the more we work on that, the more good policy we have towards it. And the more that we spread knowledge you know, to the public about mental health and what we can do about it, the more we'll see, I think, us move towards that direction of holding it on par and having true parity.
1: For sure resources for people, if they if they they do some self-inventory in- or they already know they're struggling, yep. uh, where can they go to get some help?
0: Sure. So Help is Here Delaware is the main mental health website that has the Hope Warm line I was talking about on it before. It also has crisis phone numbers on it. Kiddos, more are going through Division of Prevention and Behavioral Health. So there's a kids crisis line. It's 1-800-969-HELP. I have that one memorized. And for pediatric services, certainly Nemours is doing a lot more telehealth. So they can reach out to us and we will make sure we get folks connected. Our, our true goal is to have everyone who needs help to get help. So the other thing Nemours has is a website. It is nemours.org slash kids cope. And it lists all of the resources within the community as well. So not just our own clinics, but what else exists out there for different services.
1: For sure. For sure. Anything else we, we missed that you want to hit?
0: I think that's good.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in and sitting with us and talking about this. This It's so important
2: for a lot of people right now, and I'm glad we we got it out. Thank you so much. You're a leading child mental health professional here in Delaware, literally on the front lines fighting for our community during this epidemic. There are so many children out there and families benefiting from your work. Thank you also for coming here today and educating the entire county community.
0: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.
2: All right. Well, that's been Dr. Walls, and we're going to sign off.
1: Join us again next time on PodCounty.